This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. If you are new to the show today, welcome. We are so glad to have you here. We have a really exciting episode with Emma Coburn today. I want to thank Prevenex for supporting the podcast. Prevenex has the best multivitamins, joint health plus supplements, protein powder. They have the best supplements on the market. Their products are made with clean and clinically proven ingredients. Make sure you check out their Joint Health Plus. I've been taking it for over two months now and I'm feeling the best I've felt in a really long time. The Joint Health Plus not only alleviates joint pain, it also protects your joints so that you can have longevity in this sport. You all can save 15% off your order when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. All right, friends, today you're listening to episode 267, and I'm talking with Emma Coburn. Emma is a steeplechaser. She runs for New Balance. She made her first Olympic team in 2012. In 2016 at the Olympics, she won a bronze medal and has since been upgraded to a silver medal. In 2017, she won a gold medal at the World Championships. She's married to Joe Bosshard, who is her coach, and... They have an amazing team of women out in Boulder, Colorado that Joe trains and several of the ladies have been on this podcast. Make sure you check out their interviews. Danny Jones, Aisha Prottlier, Laura Thweet, and soon we will have Dom Scott on the podcast as well. Really excited to have Emma on the podcast today. Big thanks to my friends at St. Vincent Sports Performance, Scott Hudson, for connecting me with Emma and helping me make this happen. All right, you're going to learn so much more about Emma's life outside of running as well. This was a really fun conversation that I really hope you all enjoy. And this episode is also supported by Lily Trotters, my favorite compression sock. I've been wearing them for several years now. They've been a huge supporter of this podcast. And not only are they functional, they work really well. They're super cute as well. This is a woman-owned company. Whether you are running marathons, you're running a mile, you're recovering from having a baby, you're traveling, not that anybody's really traveling right now, but whatever your needs are for compression socks, Lily Trotters is the best place to go. You all can save 25% off your order when you go to lilytrotters.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. Uh, I'm wearing Lily Trotters compression socks right now as we speak and they feel so wonderful on my calves. All right, friends. Enjoy my conversation with Emma Coburn. Well, today on the podcast, I'm really excited to have Emma Coburn on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Emma. Thanks for having me. Um, so you were just in Indiana for the Boss Mile, and I got to do like a little post-race interview, and I have to tell you, I felt so weird and out of place, like with my mask on. It was the first time I've been in a setting like that where I'm like trying to interview someone with a mask on. So it felt so weird. Yeah. 2020 is just full of weird, right? Like we're all, we're all adjusting and adapting to the weirdness. And a lot of that is, um, you know, going through life wearing masks now, but (laughs) some of it, yeah, it's, it's racing and empty tracks, empty stadiums. It's 
not knowing uh, what, you know, it's having an empty calendar of racing ahead of you. Um, it's all just been weird, but I think, you know, we've all luckily adapted pretty well to it. And I think everyone's now just realizing that you just got to go with the flow. Yeah. Did it feel good to actually like get on an airplane and go somewhere because you've spent so much of your life, your professional life traveling? (laughs) It definitely is. It's funny to think of flying to Europe and being jet lagged and all of that. Like there is a side of me that misses that, um, experience and, trying to catch my connection in the Frankfurt airport and rushing through customs, mm-hmm. like all that, that, uh, even the annoying stuff related to international travel, there's pieces of me that miss it for sure. Um, last summer we spent the month leading up to the world championships, uh, in San Moritz, Switzerland and, uh, a few of the girls on the team. And then our coach Joe, who's my husband and, uh, that when I look at pictures or time hop things pop up of that or uh, lover Taylor Swift lover mm-hmm. album had just come out. So we were listening to that on repeat. So often I'll hear a song from that album and just get brought back to San Moritz. And that's, that's when I have a uh, sadness over what 2020 has become. Um, but again, I think we're all in the same boat and there's been a lot of good silver linings I've I've been home in Crested Butte all summer and training is going really well. So, you know, I can, I can find the good in this situation too. Okay. Pause. What is your favorite song on that album? Because I have a, I have a hard favorite. Like it's like, there's no competition. Oh, wow. Um, well, we all really loved, I think he knows. And part of that was it just struck us in the right time. And I don't, So now that's my favorite on the album, just because it reminds me of this fun moment with my teammates. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I do really like Lover, just classic. Mm -hmm. But I think he knows is our team favorite from that album. What's yours? I just love Cornelia Street. Oh, yes, of course. And it makes me want to, of course, I Zillow Cornelia Street (laughs) apartments. And then you're like, oh, wow, it's a block of only five apartments. Wow. Oh, so this is the one Taylor rented. And then you go on the street easy tour of her apartment. So, you know, I've done all that shopping (laughs) for sure related to Cornelia street. That's a great song. Um, there's a live, uh, something, I don't know what it's on. I found it on, maybe it's on YouTube. I don't know. It's on some streaming service of her, one of her concerts. It might've been the London one where she's singing that live. And I had my boys, my, I've, um, boys my kids are all boys but I had them all sit down on the couch and watch it with me I was like you guys are gonna like this kind of music which is funny because my husband's like a big rock music guy you know Pearl Jam my morning jacket yeah but I'm like you're gonna listen to all of it and you're gonna like (laughs) (laughs) did they become fans I mean, they know Taylor, but they're they're kind of more into like Pancake Robot and these like kids songs that are um, making me slowly lose my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's um, funny. Okay. So you're sitting, we were just talking about this before we get on, you're sitting in front of some super cute wallpaper. Tell me about it and the painting. Yes. Um, so I'm at my parents' house in Crested Butte. My mom, not professionally does it, but she's a very good like interior designer decorator and uh she picked out this beautiful uh peacock wallpaper behind me and then she also painted this picture oh shoot you froze sorry that's okay so my uh painted this picture so uh yeah that's my story of where I am um and 
that's that. Yeah. Cute wallpaper though. <laughs> is it an office space or is it like a bedroom that you're sitting it's in? It's my, it's my bedroom here. Oh, yeah. wow. Wow. Did, she, did your mom mm-hmm. come like design your house that you live in now? Does she help you with that stuff? Um, I definitely ask her opinion on stuff, but it's not, <laughs> you know, I, I enjoy it myself. So I didn't want to give her too much, you know, too much bandwidth. I wanted it to do it myself. <laughs> mm, okay. So boss smile, let's start there. Uh, tell us what your goals were coming to Indiana. Why did you guys, I was so surprised you were coming to Indiana. Somebody at, um, you know, I do a lot of work with St. Vincent here in Indianapolis and someone that I know through them was like, Hey, did you know that the team boss ladies are coming to Indiana? And I'm like, no. So tell us how that (laughs) came about. Um, I've been working with the therapist at St. Vincent since 2014. And, um, over the year, you know, we've just been checking in and chatting and, um, we were discussing with them how there's no track meets. USATF isn't providing any track meets. Uh, there's nothing. And they, we, my husband, Joe has, was just asking everyone he knew who all over the country of like, what's it looking like over there? Like our, our race is happening, whatever. And the, um, our friends in Indy said, if we find a venue, would you want to come and race? And we're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they um, found a good venue for us and we came out and raced and it was really fun. And we ran fast and it was this whole year, the training is valuable and um, important, but it's definitely nice to be rewarded with a race. <laughs> you know, like I can look at it and say all the work I'm doing in 2020 will propel me and make me more successful in 2021. But it's still just satisfying to have a race effort and to have a result. And, um, and so both our mile in Colorado, which was the altitude, the Colorado state mile record attempt and the Indy mile, were just nice to have something to get excited for and have something to put your uniform on for and, you know, have a race at the end of the week that you're, uh, you know, have a little bit of butterflies about. So it was really fun. And, um, we have, a couple more races left this season. And so we're heading to Nashville to race, um, a 1500 there August 15th. And so just, just trying to have a little bit of racing, but also not get too greedy and obsessive about getting all the things we want out of 2020. Who are you partnering with for the Nashville race? The Nashville race, actually, we don't have to host our own race this time, which is fun. Um, Music City Distance Carnival um, is a race that's been happening in Nashville for the last several years. And so that meet is is established and it's happening. And so athletes beyond our group will also be racing there, which will be fun to race uh, other teams. And so, yeah, that that'll be a good, more familiar, more traditional race experience being at a venue that you're not mm-hmm. paying for the timing. You're not paying for insurance. You're not... Um, coordinating all the logistics and you're just there to race. So it'll be a nice treat and a little bit back to what it used to be like. Wow. You know, mentioning that I don't think anybody's watching any of these races thinking about those logistics going on behind it that you guys are doing. Yeah. It's a few thousand dollars to pay for, um, USATF officials to pay for timing, to pay for again, insurance and masks and COVID tests. And there's a lot. 
And so it's, um, it's, that's how much we want this. And that's also how much we need this is we need to be able to put some good times down on paper to help us get into the meets we want to get into next year to help secure, um, you know, contracts to help us in our U S rankings. And so it's all super important. Um, but yeah, it's funny that as a professional athlete, I'm having to kind of fund my own races where, whereas like, you know, LeBron James doesn't pay the light bill at the stadium he's working out in. Um, but that's just kind of what, where we're at and doing our best and trying to be really proactive and, uh, not wait for anyone else to hand it to us or give it to us. Wow. That's so empowering. I think it was, it might've been Aisha that retweeted or liked something that said like, welcome us to your bubble or something like the NBA. Cause they're having yeah. a season or something. I don't, I think I recollect seeing. Yeah. Yeah. She did that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it that way. And maybe other people listening have, but I just haven't thought through all that. That's, that's powerful that you guys are just taking matters into your own hands. Yeah, it's kind of the way that um, my training group and Joe and I have always been since the beginning, um, trying to make our life happen for ourselves. And, you know, we, that's often reflected in how, you know, we, we pace our teammates and we pace races and we don't count on someone else to like, provide a fast pace for us, we try and get it done ourselves. And there's other groups in the country that do that as well, for sure. Um, but I think this year it's our spirit of self-sustainability and, and making life and making races and making our careers happen for ourselves and really taking ownership of that is definitely reflected in, in, uh, us putting on races and it's, it feels natural. It doesn't feel right for us to sit back and just wait for something to happen. Wait for USATF to put on a race for us or wait for someone else. Um, if it's easy to sit back and complain and moan and whine that, Oh, the season's not happening, but are you complaining Mm. and just sitting there? Or are you actively trying to improve your own situation? Like I can't stand people complaining and not trying to fix it, um, or not trying to be active. Um, and so we've always been really proactive with the things we want in our life and in our career. And, um, the races, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird part of 2020 that we've been doing, but, uh, it's been fun too seeing other groups and other people, um, you know, the Bowerman and then the other Nike groups in Portland kind of putting on their own races as well. Um, and just trying to make entertainment and make some fast performances. And, uh, you know, I think, American athletes, I think we will do well in Tokyo next year, but it it was important for us to be able to get some good racing in. And I think at least in the distance side, there's been a lot of uh, ownership in that and athletes trying to just get themselves out there and race, even if the world isn't presenting them the best opportunities. Okay. So I'm thinking about athletes that like aren't in group settings, like aren't on teams, like your team or Bowerman. Um, or NAZ elite, what do those athletes do in these situations? Cause it's, you know, financially doing it by yourself is probably challenging. And also like logistically, what do you do? Yeah. So we, 
my training group isn't sponsored by a one shoe company. I'm sponsored by New Balance, but there's different sponsors. And so I think we're somewhere in the middle where, um, you know, the Nike groups or NAZ Elite, they have a shoe company backing them and helping fund some of their race attempts. So, but they still have to plan it and do it all themselves. But um, where we have to foot the bill and do all the logistics and all that, where we're lucky and where we're like those other branded groups is that we have the numbers to say, okay, we have five people that can participate in this race. And if you're someone who's training, um, alone or just with one other person, yeah, it sucks. You don't have, that's a really difficult situation to be in. And, um, I've, you know, talked with several of my friends who are not, um, in big training groups and train on their own. And, um, you know, someone replied to, to me once and was like, where are you finding all these races? And I was like, Oh no, like we're just doing them. Like they're not there. And, and, um, and it is hard. And that's a, that's a challenging situation to be in because if you're training by yourself, you can't put your own race on. And I mean, you could, but it'd be really challenging to just run the race by yourself. USATF won't sanction it unless there's three finishers. Um, so there's just, a much more complicated layers if you're alone. And so it is really great to have a team of people that I can call on and count on and we can rely on each other to help make these races successful. I love that about your group that you guys have, you all have your own unique individual sponsors. Um, And I know I heard, you know, I heard you talk about the group and how it kind of came about on clean sport collective um, with Kara and Shanna and like Aisha came to you guys when she was looking to train and you didn't even have the intentions to form this group, but you guys have really formed this group that is like a force to be reckoned with. And it seems like your camaraderie is so amazing. So I guess like in your mind, does that matter that you have different sponsors? Like how do you feel that makes you guys more unique? What are your thoughts on that? I think there's, it's obviously what it's what we've chosen and what we like. Um, Aisha at the end of 2016, she and I were both kind of floating and Joe and I had agreed that he would coach me, but she was looking for something new and I was just sitting there. And so, um, she took a really, really big risk and moved to Colorado and the, the immediate connection and immediate feeling of this is right. And this feels, this feels good. Um, made me feel like, yeah, we can, we can grow this more. And my relationship with Joe is funny because he's typically always pushing the envelope of wanting dreaming big and wanting to do more and wanting, you know, to grow the group or do a business or whatever it is. He's always dreaming and creating. And I'm always the one like kind of holding him back. Um, (laughs) and like the more conservative one. And so, um, he, it, it, we're a good balance because I think, I think it's made us be really careful with, the athletes that have, have chosen to come here. Um, we're not like out there recruiting people. Joe turns down people all the time, but, um, if there's someone that we feel like physically has the skills to, to be a good fit in our group and then has a personality that we, um, feel like, you know, we click with and they're eager to move to Boulder and join this and join into our system and fully buy in. Um, that's a really special, that's a really special, um, person. And so when it comes about, like we're, we're happy to add them. And so over the years, it's definitely, we've definitely grown and, 
Um, a lot of the people that have joined our team are people that I had relationships with, um, you know, for years and years prior to them joining our team. And we were just friends. Um, some of the people I just cheered for from afar and never met or never knew. Um, and, but, but we have a really good dynamic and we just love to work hard. We get along, we don't fight. We know that there's days that someone might shine and you might be having a hard day, but in those days you got to, you know, recognize your teammates shine and try and grab onto it and have them help you. Um, we have a really wide spectrum of skills and distances, and it's just a really great group to be a part of. Um, and it definitely, at the end of 2017, I'm sorry, the end of 2016, it wasn't a place I pictured my life being. Um, four years ago, I was getting ready to fly down to Rio, um, and I was in a different training group and definitely didn't see that four years later, I'd have a group of 10 or 12 different people I was training with and Joe would be my coach and we'd be happy and successful, but it's worked out. Yeah. Okay. So because bef- before Joe, for those listening who might not know, you were with Mark Wetmore and Heather Burroughs, um, eight years. What are the big differences between their coaching style and Joe's coaching style? Like how have you grown in ways with Joe? I think um, there's, there's a lot of overlap in, the sense that, you know, I still run, I was running 80 to 85 miles a week with them. And I still run about that same amount now. Um, and I was living in Boulder then, and I still live in Boulder (laughs) now, but a lot of the training that I'm doing with Joe has gravitated more towards, uh, a lot more volume in workouts and a lot longer, um, quality work. Um, and so, my first year with Joe, I was, you know, doing long tempos that I had never considered or tried or done anything like that. Um, and so I think if I, to really make it simple, I probably train a little bit more like a 5k, even 10k person now. And when I was, um, in my old program, I trained more like a 1500 runner, um, steepler. And so that the work has just changed. And then also how the work is, is done is different too, but, um, that's probably the biggest difference. And I think that was an area that, uh, that was kind of the next frontier logically that I had to tackle and had to be able to, uh, conquer in college. I ran, um, 406 for the 15 and was, was good at the steeple. And so I kind of had grown that side of my training pretty well. Um, but it definitely needed to tackle the longer stuff. And even though I haven't raced that longer stuff yet, um, it's been a a bigger focus in my training. I mean, it makes sense from the outside looking in, thinking of a steeple chaser because it's so much strength involved in that, that you would start doing those, those longer workouts. Um, I heard you also mention that you had been planning to do a 10 K before the whole pandemic. So, um, I, when I heard you say that though, I was like, dang, that is far for a steeplechaser. What is it just, that's the logic behind the training you guys are doing. And did that intimidate you? (laughs) Um, yeah, I was planning on racing a 10 K at, um, one of the first Stanford meets and then a 5k at Peyton Jordan and then get into my steeple season, um, do a couple 15. So it was, it was on paper going to be a great season. Um, 
And so last year I paced the 10 K at Peyton Jordan and ran, uh, a little over four miles of it, maybe four and a half. I can't quite remember, but, um, at 503 mile pace, which I don't know what pace that is for 10 K I should. Um, and so me, and then I paced a 5k a few weeks later at Oxy at right around like 15, 10 pace maybe, um, for 4k. And so doing both of those pace jobs made me feel like, Oh, I could, I can do this distance. And it prior to ever doing those pacing jobs, it felt really intimidating. Like, Oh my gosh, 25 laps, no freaking way. And then, um, kind of last year, me exposing myself to that stuff through pacing made me feel like, Oh, this could be painful, but fun and, and would be useful just for my training. Cause I, I'm doing that type of training anyway in March and April. Um, and so to, do a 10 K at the beginning of May and a five K at the end of May, like really would fit suit and well with what my training would, would be gearing me up for anyway. Um, but I'll have to try again next year. Yeah. Dang. Um, I think it's a really important point that you had brought up earlier too, just like that you guys are creating these races for yourselves because you don't want to enter 2021, the Olympic year. <laughs> I'm just saying this right now. Hopefully it happens, right? Like, I'm like, yeah. the more time goes on, I'm like, oh my gosh, are people wondering, like, is this even going to happen in 2021? Um, but you can't just, like, get rusty for a whole year and not race. That would be um, not good. So let's talk about what you guys did at the Boss Mile. Uh, Corey ran 421, Danny 423, you 423. I felt like after the race when we talked, was that the strategy to, like, usher Corey and do, like, a really fast 421? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a steepler and I try and, and try and be successful in the mile in the 1500. But, um, you know, my career is not defined by how quickly I can run a mile and I need to be better at the mile. And I think that's physically and mentally, you know, it's something that I need to continue to work on, but that the stakes for me, in Indy are lower than a, a true miler. And so, um, we had Dom Scott pace, um, through 800 and she did great. And then my assignment was to, um, take the next four or 500 meters. Um, and so I did, and, and I'm, I was happy to take that role. Um, especially because I wanted Corey and Danny to fly and to run really fast, which they did. So, my last, you know, 250, I started, started getting a little tired. Um, but was still, you know, I came through 1500 meters in almost a PR. I think I ran 404.8 there and my PR is 404.3. Um, and so I, I kept it together kind of, but <laughs> I wish I would have run a little bit stronger that last lap. It was it was kind of lame, but, um, <laughs> Corey ran great and Danny ran great and I, I ran well too. So it was overall a really fun experience and, and Dom did a really good job pacing. And then I, you know, someone has to take over. So it, it was cool that it was me and that I was able to, um, keep the pace going and, and continue, um, you know, not slow it down so that, you know, they, we could get to the bell and get to 300 meters to go feeling good. Um, side note, I'm interviewing Dom tomorrow, so that'll be fun. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Um, okay. So correct me if I'm wrong though. You had run the 432 
Colorado mile. Um, and I thought I read that your mile PR was 431. So, like, you still PR'd by, like, what, seven seconds or eight well, seconds? Well, yeah. So, my the mile just isn't really run outdoors very yeah. much. Um, and so, in college, I ran 429 twice um, indoors. And then my 431 is from racing the Hoka Long Island Mile a couple years ago. Um, but my... 1500 meter PR is uh 404. Okay. And I've run 405 maybe twice and 406 a couple of times and 404 a couple of times. So that's more my my PR is more of that 404, sure. but yeah, my mile PR was <laughs> technically 431. So it was a it was a good day and um just being out there together and then after the race we did a workout which just anytime we can get to sea level uh, it's really fun to get to do a big workout after. So uh, we made good use of our time. Yeah. So you came through in 404 in this in this mile in the 15. So yeah. you like tied yeah. your PR in in a mile race in the 15. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like I'm ready to go faster. Yeah. For sure. That's awesome. Um, I was so shocked. I mean, I don't know why, but when you were like, yeah, we're going to go do a workout now because, you know, well, I know you guys are two hours behind, so it probably didn't feel so late, but it was like 10, 10 PM. So I was ready for bed and I'm like, I can't believe they're going to go do a workout now. <laughs> well, after a race, no matter what time it is, whether it's midnight or 2 PM, you're never tired. So, um, yeah, we weren't, the time zone didn't matter, but we definitely were not tired. Uh, and yeah, we, we did a little workout and then went, uh, and had some pizza and then, yeah, we're, we're trying to fall asleep probably by one thirty or so. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you get pizza? Did you get it in Marion or did you get back to Indy first? Uh, we went back to Carmel oh, and, Carmel. uh, we went, yeah, we went to a friend's house and had some pizza. Oh, fun. Awesome. So, Nashville's next. Did you, do you guys, are you saying what distance you're racing? It's a, it's a 1500. 15. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're going after that 404. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I mean, I, I need to do better. 404 is not good enough. So I have to, I have to get better at that. And, uh, like I said, I ran 406 in college. So that was, um, seven years ago. And so I need to, I need to, crack that down. It's, it's hard. Cause I'm always so, um, I usually do one 1500 kind of early in the season because I'm so protective of making my steeplechase races, you know, good and wanting to be in all the diamond leagues and the international races to get experience against the other women. Um, and so every year it's like, I feel like I'm fit, but like, there's no way or location to run a 5k or a 15. So this year is fun for that reason that I can, you know, have a couple cracks at the 1500, but yeah, I definitely have to try and PR my current PR. Like I said, is 404.3 or 404.4, something like that. So we'll see. What do you love about the 15 that you don't like? What kind of feelings that you don't get in the steeple? The 1500 is over so fast. (laughs) It's like, I mean, it's you blink and you're on the bell lap. Um, I, it, the difference though, is the pace just obviously being that much faster, you're never comfortable. And in the steeplechase, you are running a pace or that pace in the steeple is, is really where my body feels good. Um, you know, running 70 to 72 is, whereas in the 15, it's like 64, 65. Um, and so it's just a different, 
you know, that rhythm in my legs is always feels unusual because I'm so comfortable running 70, 72s. Uh, but yeah, it's over so quick. So that's fun. Um, but sometimes I forget to like, <laughs> I forget that like, okay, oh my gosh, the finish line is right there. I really need to boogie. Hey everybody, I'm gonna take a quick break real quick and tell you about Grit. It's a summer distance project that my friends at Believe in the Run are putting on. This project is gonna be so much fun. It's been going on all summer and you can still sign up through August 24th, okay? There are essentially no races happening right now and what I have found out over these past five months is that I need some sort of goal to hold myself accountable. It is so much easier to get out the door when I know I have something I am training for or working towards. So the GRIT Summer Distance Project is a 30-day period to complete a mileage goal that goes beyond whatever your typical comfort zone is without getting injured. Let's just add that. You can go 25, 75, 150, 225, or 300 total miles. All registrants receive a custom training plan, a race bib, and access to the private Believe in the Run Strava and Facebook groups. Registrants will also earn a custom neck gaiter and choice between black and white distance specific ASICS t-shirt. Plus, all participants are entered into a weekly giveaway including footwear from ASICS, heart rate monitors from Polar, and recovery devices from Firefly. Grand prizes include Polar Grit, X watches, ASICS shopping sprees, and a virtual meet and greet with Dina Castor. You all know how much we love Dina Castor on this podcast. A portion of the proceeds will go directly to the Donna Foundation, a foundation I believe in so much. This organization has been very significantly impacted by the pandemic, but remains committed to their important work serving those living with breast cancer. So pick your mileage of choice. Get out of your comfort zone a little bit for a 30-day time period and register at believeintherun.com slash grit and use the code Lindsay5 to get $5 off your registration. Commit to 30 days of health. You won't regret it. And you'll have a great community to connect with as well. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Emma Coburn. Uh, talk to us about adding Danny to the team. That's exciting. I, I had her on the show like right after she joined the team. So um, yeah, just talk to us about that addition. Danny's awesome. She obviously had such a great career at uh, Colorado. She's won countless awards because she's one of a kind with what she's been able to achieve. Um, and so I just have, you know, rooted for her from afar and um, talked with her, you know, on and off throughout the years, just congratulating her and everything. But we never over, we didn't really overlap. I left there when she was a freshman. Um, and so we overlapped some, but I didn't get to know her very well. But she is uh, really, really hardworking, really eager to learn and to adapt into our program and to, uh, you know, jump in both feet ready to go. So she's been um, it's been really fun to train with her and she has the skills to contribute uh, right away, which is really fun. Um, You know, sometimes someone joins the group and they've never trained at altitude or they've never done uh some longer workouts or long runs, like how we do them. And so for her to just already be living in Boulder, the adaptation to altitude is so much easier. And I think there's, um, there's definitely some workouts that she's like, Ooh, you know, like she's, she's never done a post race workout. And so 
after our race in Indy, I think she was a little surprised um, at how hard it was. <laughs> um, so there's there's obviously things that she's still learning, but it's been really fun to have her. And uh, I think she has a very, very bright future. And I'm excited that I get to run alongside her. You know, I was just talking, I just interviewed uh, Shayla Houlihan yesterday. Uh-huh. And she was talking about how, um, as a coach, like when she talks to her people that she's coaching, that each individual person has their own unique assets that they're bringing to the team. Um, Because I was, I think I was asking her, like, how do you make the slowest runner on your team feel just as valuable as the fastest runner on your team kind of deal? Um, And it sounds like you are kind of ringing those same sentiments true with the people as you bring new athletes into your group, like everybody's a little bit different and they're all bringing a little bit something different to the group. Yeah. And, and usually it's a different set of skills, you know, and, but sometimes it's also just bringing a good energy and personality and happiness. Um, and so, you know, on our, on our women's side, we have, you know, 1500 up to the marathon. Um, and so there's definitely going to be workouts that are, our marathon or Laura sweet, if we're doing fast 200s on the track, she's not going to be as fast as Corey McGee. Um, but then there's workouts that if we're doing, you know, mile repeats that Laura's going to be crushing. And so it's the nice thing is one, our training, we really cover a lot of work. We, we, we cover a lot of different, uh, distances and types of workouts and, it's not all just hammering at the track fast stuff. And it's not all just tempo pace, long, slow stuff. Um, it's a really good mix. And so every workout, there's a different challenge. And the nice thing is having so many girls, you really can count on each other to the person whose kind of skill set that workout best matches up with. That person is, is kind of like the tough one and the one who's going to be leading the ship and, then the other girls can kind of just be quiet and be tough and be, uh, you know, trying their best. And then the other days the, the roles reverse. So it is nice. Everyone kind of has their places to shine. Um, and then, yeah, it's also just bringing the right personality and energy and kindness and humor to the group, which, um, you know, everyone has their different, different ways of contributing in that way, but that's a big part of it too. I mean, I feel like we just need to pause and talk about Laura at the Olympic trials. How exciting was that for you to watch as her teammate? It was so, it was so cool. She is really an incredible woman. Joe has said over and over again that she's the toughest person on our team, hands down. Mm. Um, she is so gritty and not afraid to hurt, which mm. is, uh, she can take more pain than any, than anyone I know. And, um, and also embraces it and isn't scared of it. Um, and so the trials was painful and, and we saw the carnage that the trials, you know, (laughs) resulted in. And Laura was leading in the wind on crazy Hills, fearless. And, um, a couple times early on, Joe yelled like, tuck in, tuck in. And, um, and she kept charging along. He's like, all right, well, she is, she is confident and she's running her race. And if she's excited and willing to like grit like this and hurt, then like go for it. Um, so to finish fifth in that field of women that are just some iconic women, 
are in that field. And, um, you know, one of the best female distance runners in us history are in that field. And, um, for her to finish fifth was really, was really special. And we were so proud of her. Joe and Aisha went to Atlanta to watch. I had a different engagement, so I couldn't come. Um, but I was watching on TV and, uh, my heart was just, as I'm sure everyone watching, like physically in pain with stress and anxiety and watching someone else compete is so much (laughs) worse than just competing yourself. You just feel so helpless that you can't, you know, you can't be in control of their results. Um, but I was so proud of her and she, she, uh, really earned an incredible, um, you know, that was an incredible moment. And she was going to race fall marathons and really Mm -hmm. have time to shine this fall. Um, and obviously that didn't work out, but she's, she's very, obviously very talented, but really just a tough, tough girl. And, also on the side is so kind and warm and funny and generous and um, someone who I'm so happy to be a teammate of. And she and I were roommates in college. She lived with me and Joe in college. And uh, so we've just been super tight for for years, but it's, it's really fun to get to be with her. Uh, I love that. Well, I have to say I've done like 265 episodes and I feel like I know that my husband always says it's recency bias. Like after I get off an interview, I'll be like, that was so good. And he's like, was it, or do you just have recency bias? Like you felt like you're feeling that energy, but I think she's like one of my top 10 favorite interviews. Her, her energy is like contagious and like easiest, one of the easiest interviews I've ever done because it was just so easy to talk to her. She, she laughs at everything. Uh She, um, she is so grounded and, um, you can, you can talk to her about anything super serious and she has just the right thing to say. You can talk her, talk to her about anything shallow and stupid and she has the perfect <laughs> right thing to say. And it's just so genuine. And, um, she has such a good heart and I really, I'm really happy that she was able to shine at the trials and was you know, so close to making that team. Uh, but she's, she's one of a kind. She's awesome. Okay. So that makes me think of Joe coaching because in her episode, we talked a lot about, well, like really it felt like she resurrected her career at the trials because she had been dealing with injury for so long. And in that episode, she talks so much about how she's running really low mileage, but doing all kinds of cross training and strength training. And um, it just speaks to like the, um, how diverse Joe is in how he coaches. I mean, because you guys Mm -hmm. have this wide spectrum of distances, but not only that unique styles that have to go into play because I mean, she can't run a hundred miles a week, like some of these marathoners. Yeah. Joe does a really good job of finding the training that works for each person. And we still run, you know, almost every workout is together and the same, but he'll adapt it to adjust for, for, um, that specific person's skill set and needs. So, um, I think he's really, he's, he doesn't have an ego in that way. He doesn't think this is one size fits all. Um, the training that works for me doesn't work for someone else and vice versa. And he's not trying to say Emma's one X, Y, and Z. So you have to do exactly what she's doing. And if you can't match that, you're a failure. It's, it's okay. This is the training that works for Emma. And then this is the training that works for Corey and for Dom. And, and so through that, he's able to, I think, keep us all a lot healthier and, um, 
and just fresh. And we kind of trust, trust that he's really paying attention to what we as individuals need. Um, and so it's been, yeah, it's been fun to watch him just as his wife, like grow as a coach and see has how his, uh, kind of education in this sport and, and, and coaching has grown. And, uh, and seeing someone like Laura, who was a marathoner, who I think averaged 65 miles a week leading up to the Olympic trials. Uh, I think crazy. Yeah. Most people would think that to be a successful marathoner, you have to run, uh, you know, over hundred miles a week. But in those 65 miles, she did a three hour long run at Magnolia road. Like she's doing really good work. Um, but just not, forcing this stereotype of what you think it takes to be a good marathoner. And so that was cool to see Laura and Joe collaborate and make that, um, and have it result in something so successful. Okay. So in 2016, you, well, you get a bronze, but you have, you're a silver medalist now, um, in Rio, but then in 2017, you go on to win gold at the world championships and that's a year into, um, Joe coaching you. So, do you think like your mentality with training, with racing, do you think anything changed in that one year? I think I continued to like grow my confidence as an athlete. Winning the Olympic bronze made me like so hungry for like, I want to do this again. Um, and also at the time there was, you know, at, at London 2017, a lot of American distance runners were winning medals. Jenny Simpson, Amy Hastings. And uh, I remember watching those performances and being like, if they can do this, I can do this. And this is what I want. And um, so the training definitely, like, I spent more time training in Crested Butte at 9,000 feet. And I um, had different race tactics. And I, uh, like I touched on earlier, did a lot more kind of strength training um, and longer, longer workouts. And so I definitely physically felt like I was really fit, but I came into London 2017 ranked sixth in the world. Like it just wasn't even close. And so that's like when, when Joe being Joe was like a little hard and was like, okay, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you die, but you are going to be with the leaders for 2000 meters. And I like, and if you get last, I'll love you anyway. And it's okay. Um, but like, you have got to be with the leaders for 2000 meters and then anything can happen. Um, and so I think him being obviously my coach, but then my husband and the person I trust the most in the world, him being that like aggressive with what the plan had to be, um, made it so that I could be successful and that it felt like, I felt like crap. It, it felt so fast. It felt so hard um, through 2000 meters. And I was like, I cannot believe I have to do this. It felt terrible. (laughs) Um, but then I got to 2000 meters and, you know, you just start believing in yourself and you start, um, counting down the laps and all of a sudden you have two water jumps to go. And you, uh, you know, I started feeling more and more energized and feeling better and girls started dropping off and dropping off. Um, and so that race was a big surprise to win, to run 902 was really special. Um, but him kind of forcing me to meet that challenge, um, was, was big. And then in 2019, he kind of during 2019 season forced me to do the same thing in a couple of races where he said, you're going out 
in with the leader and I don't care what happens to you. Like you can die. And in one race I did, um, I went out with the leader cause he told me to, and he said, if you die, that's okay. And I totally had a terrible race. I, it was Zurich. I went out in two fifty three for the first K when I usually go out in like three minutes. Mm. Um, and, but then by practicing that and putting my body through that experience, I was more prepared for Doha world championships and the, the, uh, that race. And so his, him challenging me and both race tactics, but then also in practice challenging me to do things I'd never done before. Um, it's been really great at helping me physically grow and get better, but also mentally making me grow and, raise my own bar and my own expectations. Wow. It's really like, when do you decide or when does coach decide or you personally like to take those risks? Because in order to succeed and be like a world champion, you have to take those risks, but sometimes you have to calculate like when it's not the right time. So it's interesting when he decides you're staying with the leaders and when you're not. Mm-hmm. So in, in 2019 in Doha, because three weeks prior, I took that big risk and went with the leader and then died and ended up getting fifth or sixth. He and I had a discussion of like, okay, do you want to go with the leader and risk that you'll fall apart again, like Zurich, or do you want to run conservatively for a medal? And Mm. I voted medal. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's how it played out. I, I ran conservatively and got, and was able to get second and PR'd in the race and was still, you know, super happy about it. So there are discussions, um, in that way. And in the big championship races at the U S championships, um, it's definitely more collaborative, but in some of those international races or diamond league races, it's like, why not just go for it and full send, see what happens. <laughs> and, uh, a couple times I failed, but, um, the times that he's been mo- most frustrated with me is if he, if I just run like a baby, if I just run like Mm. a conservative little race and nothing, you know, I don't run very fast or I I don't run slow. I'm just medium. And so in those races, it's like, well, if you try and if you tried harder and risked something and then failed, I'd be more proud of you than like, if you just like bopped around being a baby. Um, And so (laughs) he's able to be really honest and we're able to have these conversations and, make game plans together, uh, which is, you know, a nice thing having your coach be your husband is you can really be honest and collaborate and say like, like you were being a wimp or, um, like can yell and say like, no, I wasn't. I tr- trust me. That was the hardest I could go. Uh, so you can have those conversations and trust in each other. Um, I feel like now every time I see you rate, watch you race, I'm going to be like, is she bopping around? What is Joe? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Sometimes the plan is to bop around though. <laughs> Sometimes that is the plan. And then, you know, as long as I'm following what the game plan was that we set out, he's okay. But yeah, if I, if I deviate and do something <laughs> lame, he'll be, he gets annoyed. Fair, is she, fair enough. Is she bopping the first 2k or is she all in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you held the American record for a long time, and it sounds like, you know, it's it seems like you and the other steeplechasers have really great camaraderie and relationship, and you're friends with Courtney, uh, but what, what did that feel like when Courtney took that record from you? You know, I think people, um, 
because I've been asked this a lot before, but I think people expected me to be devastated and heartbroken and it sucked, you know, and like, it's like, damn, that sucks. But I, I, I was in the race and ran the best race I could that day. And I just was having an off day and Courtney ran a great race. And she's someone who I really respect. She's always been um, kind and she's always been positive and someone that I look forward to seeing in the call room at races. And she and I, you know, keep up with each other. She came to um, the very first elk run race in 2017. Um, And so she and I get along really well. And if she was an asshole, then it'd like, I probably have a different story, <laughs> but she's a really good person. And she's a really, um, she's a fierce competitor. She's really good, but, um, she earned it that day. And, and I know her team and how hard they work. I know how hard she worked to earn that. And I had a bad day and she had a great day. Um, and I think I can walk away from it in, in that moment, I was able to walk away from it. Um, you know, I think I gave her a hug and, went and changed my spikes and was just like, damn. And then cooled down, got a massage and flew home. You know, it's, it's not something that, um, I've dwelled on and it's me, me taking back the American record is, is a goal. You know, I, I think Courtney and I both really want to break nine minutes. Um, I think we're both physically ready to and fit enough to, um, so it's, but we're able to be honest with each other and, and say like, yeah, of course I want to win and I want to, um, break the AR and I want to break nine. Um, but in the moment, I mean, she earned it and I, I didn't have a good race and she did. And, uh, it's fun to have a, a U.S. teammate who you can respect, who is going to make you be your very best. Um, you know, in 2017, I kept looking up at the jumbotron and being like, Oh my God, Courtney's still here. Okay. Oh my God, she's still here. Like it keeps you, it keeps you accountable. Um, and it's definitely been a, a fun rivalry the last several years, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I can break nine and that's the plan and that's the goal, but I know that's Courtney's plan and goal goal as well. (laughs) Well, I mean, hopefully you guys can push each other to do that and like you can both break nine. Um, I, it's interesting to hear you say that you were watching her on the jumbotron. I don't think of you guys actually watching the jumbotron is do you always do that? Yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of my data from the jumbotron. Um, and so there's been races that the jumbotron is like, showing the high jump or showing, um, you know, like a different, uh, uh, if I'm, if there's a, the leader's way ahead, they show the leader and and I'm just like chilling in second. Um, and so there's definitely times that I've looked up and not been able to use the jumbotron as, you know, a, a provider of information, but I, yeah, I look up at it all the time. And, uh, every lap I was looking up in London and counting, I mean, if an athlete is looking up at the jumbotron, you can often assume that they're counting medals and counting bodies mm. um, at the Olympics or World Championships. They can, you know, that's mm-hmm. what we often what I'm doing is. Um, so it's uh, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, three to go, and then you're like, and then you're like, okay, I'm in the top three. Okay, good. Now I gotta like look forward to um, winning or whatever it is. And at, at the Olympic trials, it's that way too. You're just counting bodies, being like, okay. Okay, here we go. <laughs> mm. So is it 
you know, you guys have created all these races for yourselves this year. Um, how is how are you dealing with it mentally, though, that you aren't doing any steeplechase races, though, to stay like sharp on that? You know, I um, it it will be weird that this year, in all likelihood, I'm not going to steeple. Um, but in 2013, I my season ended at NCAA's. I I had a sacral stress fracture, so I didn't get to race through the summer. I didn't get to do any of that. Um, and 2014 was one of my best seasons ever. Um, I, I ran way faster than I did the year before and I felt really strong and was doing, you know, really competitive and all my races. And so I think I've just had enough experiences of steeple droughts or, Mm. you know, injuries or whatever that makes you just be like, I can get through this. I know what I need to do. And I think there's a lot of trust in your coach, um, that they'll, they'll get you there. So I'm, you know, I haven't done a single hurdle drill. I haven't done a single flight of hurdles all year. I I probably should. Um, (laughs) But I think I just have faith that like, you know, it's just like riding a bike. You Mm -hmm. just (laughs) next year, I'll just get back to it. Okay. I saw on your Instagram, you posted today that today would have been the finals in Tokyo. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, in theory, um, you know, it's March, um, everything got postponed. And so it hasn't, it's not like the athletes that went to NCAA indoors, if they're there and it gets canceled and it's like, what? Um, so it's, it's been a, a long digestion of that news. And so it's not, uh, it's not a big deal. I feel like I've just, it's just a little weird to think about. So just wanted to put it out there and say like, yeah, well, this is, this is that. And, uh, we're supposed to be in Tokyo and just hope next year I can make the team and try and crack another medal again. But, um, just got to keep working. And it was, it's just weird today. Yeah. But it's not, uh, I'm not like depressed or heartbroken about it. It's just one of those things in 2020. That's just a little different. It is what it is. It is. Um, okay. So you are home right now and you mentioned the elk run a little bit ago. So you guys have gone, this is a run you've put on, you and Joe put on, um, to support families going through cancer care, Mm -hmm. uh, which is just crazy considering that your mom is, is going through that right now. Um, so talk about that race a little bit and what it means to you. Uh, yeah. So Four years ago or three and a half ish years ago, um, you know, Joe had been coaching me and we were like, we just have to do, we just should do more. Like Mm -hmm. this is, we're just time's going by and I'm running on the track and I'm running well, but like, what are we doing in life? Like Mm -hmm. what, where's our impact? Um, and I think it's so easy as an athlete and I don't blame any athlete that, that, that does this and thrives like this, but to just be so focused on, on yourself, your goals, your life, and not really look up and be like, what is the world around me needing? What can my influence do to help? Um, and so Crested View, where I grew up is this gem of a town. It's so beautiful. It's my favorite place to run in the whole world. Um, and there's this cancer group, um, called living journeys that they provide financial, support and counseling services to people battling cancer and their families. And so, um, an incredible group of people and 
my mom served on their board for 10 years and wow. I used to volunteer with them. <laughs> I used to volunteer with them in high school. Um, so it's a small town and everyone knows everyone and everyone is involved with everything. So, uh, yeah, we decided to make this 5k in Crested Butte and one to fundraise for living journeys. Um, but to also bring people to Crested Butte in the off season when it's beautiful fall leaves and bring a little bit of business and, and tourism, but then mm. also to create a, um, an event for elite runners. You know, there's so few, uh, opportunities being an, an elite runner or a sub elite racer in Colorado. Um, if you're not getting into the diamond league races, it's really hard to support yourself if you don't have a sponsor. Um, and so we put up good prize money too. Oh, cool. So we were able to, for our first two years, they were in person. So we were able to, uh, you know, contribute back a little bit to the, uh, local running scene and the, the elite running community in Colorado with prize money. And so it was, it's super fun event. Um, lots of running, but then also lots of music and dancing and drinking and all the fun. Um, and so that happened in 2017 and 2018 in Crest Butte. And then in 2019, we had to go virtual because I was in Switzerland training for the world championships. Um, and then this year was supposed to be in person, <laughs> but you know, life. So we're virtual again. And in the last four, in our previous three races, we raised a total of $90,000 for Living Journeys. And so we're hoping to raise $40,000 um, this year. And it's virtual. You can sign up at elkrun5k.com and you get a, a really cool race hat, a tote bag, hand sanitizer, a mask. Hand sanitizer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a bib, a racing bib, and then little bib snaps that... Um, go on it anyway. So you get a lot of cool stuff and the proceeds go to living journeys. Um, and we hope to be back in person in Crested Butte next year. I hope it's a super fun event, but it's been a, a you know, it's, it's a lot of work for Joe and I, but we really believe in it and are proud to have, you know, been able to contribute and uh, make our community a little bit healthier and happier and better off. Yeah. I mean, I resonate with what you said so much, um, not as an elite runner, but just in life, like you're, you're saying like, oh my gosh, time is going by. Like we're just, you know, it's 2019, you know, it's 2020. What am I doing? And will this all matter? And so it's cool to see you guys actually put that into action, even though there's already enough on your plate, you know? Um, I noticed too, that you guys were raising money for, um, black high school students for your Colorado mile. Yeah, we raised $30,000 for the Sachs Foundation, which is a um, group in Colorado that gives college scholarships to black Colorado high school students that have a good GPA and want to go to college. So that was a great uh, effort. And yeah, just trying to make the world a little bit better. And luckily, I have really awesome um, people around me and, and followers and supporters that donate and contribute and support all of these things I'm trying to do. Um because if I was just alone in a vacuum, I couldn't do any of it. So it's nice to have everyone support and believe in it. And the fun thing is a lot of my runner peers, a lot of my professional peers contribute and, um, and sign up for elk run or contribute to a, the Sachs foundation, whatever it is. It's, it's a really, uh, I think it's a surprising thing for a lot of people, how close the elite running community is. And in the U S um, and especially on the women's side, I just feel like there's so many awesome American women that really support each other and are vocal about supporting each other. 
Um, and so I've been lucky to have some of those women kind of help me along the way too. Okay. And then what was the organization you guys were raising awareness and funds for in Indiana? Um, that was the coach of the, uh, Indiana Wesleyan university, his, his wife's organization. And, um, it's about, uh, helping sex trafficking victims. Okay. So I don't know as much about it, but, um, Okay. I just remember him talking about it on the loudspeaker there. Right. Um, right. Yeah. That's so awesome that you guys are doing that. And by the way, the elk uh, run merch is like so cute. So cute. It sold out so quickly and everyone's like, are you making more? I was like, nope, I got enough <laughs> going on. Sorry. Who's your graphic designer? Um, we work with a guy named Andrew Sears. His Instagram is sapwood designs co sapwood designs. Um, Anyway, he's a really great uh, designer, and he's designed all of our Elk Run logos and merch over the years. Okay, real quick, before we do end a podcast, give us a little um, information on being the vice president of the Athletic Association. Yeah, so that's another thing um, I do. <laughs> um, we Christian Taylor reached out to me um, at the end of 2019. He had formed this group um, kind of in response to – the diamond league getting rid of five mm-hmm. events um, and just feeling like there's constantly decisions being made at the top without really consideration for how that is going to impact athletes, lives and livelihoods. And, um, and there's not real transparency in the, the decision-making process and uh, athletes are just expected to say, thank you. Okay. And um, so Christian is, an incredibly decorated athlete. And, but beyond that, he is very, very humble and hardworking and very smart. And he formed this group and asked me to be a part of it. And really he and I through the spring were kind of forming our board and working behind the scenes through a lot of stuff. Um, and the goal of the athletics association is to just really advocate for what athletes are wanting, but to also ask athletes, no one mm. asks. So we want to be able to ask thousands of athletes what they're needing and what they're wanting and what their opinion is. Um, so we have a great board of, you know, Olympic gold medalists, world record holders, national champions, um, covering all different events, all different countries, uh, male and female, um, And so the goal is as big decisions are made in our sport, we'll be able to communicate to athletes, um, thousands of athletes. You know, we, we did a little mini version of this before we officially launched. We pulled athletes, elite athletes and asked if they want the Olympics postponed or not, or how their training is progressing. And, um, 4,000 athletes responded to that just in our very first little attempt at it. So, um, the goal is to just hear what athletes want and need and then amplify that voice and advocate and, and fight for the rights of athletes and, and communicate that. So we just launched kind of officially a couple weeks ago and it's, it's going to be, I think really powerful and special to, yeah, tell athlete stories and, and be able to say, Hey, we are the sport. This is for us. You're making all these decisions that you think is the best thing for us, but you're not even asking. Wow. Okay. So this was just his idea. Like he was just like, I want to form this. Yeah. And he's obviously he's like known as just an incredible, incredible athlete. And he can't even fit all of his medals around his neck. But, um, he just was 
kind of sick of being uh, out of the loop and feeling that if he's out of the loop and he's the best in the world at his mm-hmm. event and he, his opinion is being neglected, what are what are all the other athletes, the elite athletes in, in track and field globally, how do they feel? Um, you know, Christian has a good voice and he's well-connected and he has the ear of people that matter, but they don't care about his voice. And so, so if his, if his opinion doesn't matter to them, to the decision makers, um, who's, you know, why would they listen to everyone else? And so I think, you know, I commend him so much for adding this to his plate in the Olympic year. And because at the time we thought the Olympics would happen this year. Um, and for just creating the change that he wants to see and really leading the charge. And he's a, he's a very, smart, determined guy. And it's fun to get to work alongside him in this. Wow. Okay. My next dream big guest is to get him on the podcast. Sounds like you'd be an amazing guest. (laughs) That's so awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for, for all that hard work. Are you still having like emotional feelings about steeple being removed from the diamond leagues? It's just challenging. Um, and I think it makes us have to be creative with what we'll do moving forward. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not convinced that anything is permanent. I think that, uh, we can always evolve it. And I think I'm, I don't like to play the victim Mm -hmm. in things. And Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to, whatever the situation is, trying to absorb the information and either fix it if I can, or, uh, take another avenue or, you know, I'm not just going to sit back and complain about something. I mean, I'll, I'll complain, <laughs> but I'm also going to uh-huh. try and make the change happen. So um, we'll, we'll see what next year looks like with what the schedule is, what events are included in, in certain races. And then, you know, this year we got good practice at putting on our own races. So uh, <laughs> maybe that'll have to be the case. Um, speaking of your determination, I heard you mention in an interview that your mom and your sisters like your biggest role models. And so do you feel like you got that from them? I think my mom and my sister, I just admire and adore for so many reasons, but I think the, um, the tenacity to not like be on the sidelines of your own life came Mm. more from Joe. Mm. Um, in high school, I was a bit of a head case, hated running. I would drop out of races. Um, and Joe moved to Crested Butte when he, halfway through his junior year and was like, started calling me out and being like, why are you doing that? Why are you dropping out of races? Why, like, why aren't you trying? And all the excuses that I gave, he just didn't care. And so <laughs> that's, I think, his best trait, which can be so frustrating when you're just wanting to have a pity party is he doesn't buy your excuses, whatever it is, whether it's, oh, so-and-so paced or did a bad job or, oh, the Diamond League cut this or uh-huh. whatever your complaint or excuse is, he doesn't buy it. And he just was like, you're in charge of you. If you want to fix something, go do it. Or there's obviously things that are out of your control, which, hello, the Olympic year, um, getting canceled. <laughs> um, <laughs> but But if there are things that you can um, control or change, like he's not going to buy your excuse. If a pacer is doing a bad job in front of you, go around them, you know, is his thought. Um, 
and and things like my mom's cancer diagnosis or the Olympics getting postponed, things that I cannot control. Mm. He's very supportive and lets you feel sorry for yourself. Um, but you know, the stuff that you can improve, he, he won't have that sympathy for you. (laughs) Wow. I have so many thoughts. Um, first your mom's cancer diagnosis, how's she doing? She's doing well. She, um, her tumors are all stable. They're still there and not like they're going to be there forever, but, um, they're stable and she feels really strong and she still is, she's done 11 rounds of chemotherapy. Um, but she's, yeah, she's a fighter and she's strong and she feels good, you know, every day, except the day that she gets her chemo infusion. Um, and so she's, she's doing really well and it's just been really fun to be home and be living, with my parents, Joe splits time between Boulder and Crested Butte. And so, um, it's just good to spend time with them and, um, she's doing really well, but yeah, thanks. Yeah. I, when you shared that she was going through that, I like then did a deep dive on her profile and your parents are so cute. They're like, love each other so much. (laughs) I I know they're really cute. They like call each other their boyfriend and girlfriend and they're very much in love, which is sweet. And it's, that's, uh, you know, another nice thing about being home is the, the rogue day that my mom doesn't feel good to get to be there for my dad um, mm-hmm. and keep him company and keep him happy and um, distracted. And all of that is is another perk of being home. So there's four of you kids, right? Four kids. And we all um, we all happen to be at home this week. So oh, it's fun. crazy. And it's a good little family reunion. Um but yeah, we have four, four kids and, um, and then my sister has two kids and my brother has one daughter. So there's three grandbabies running around as well. I, that's so fun. Do you love being an aunt? Yeah, it's awesome. It's so much easier than being a mom, <laughs> yeah. I think, um, <laughs> from what I can tell, but I still get to do all the snuggles and loves and hugs and, uh, watch them grow up, uh, which is, yeah, that's really fun. I live really close to my sister and she and I are best friends. And so I've been able to be, see her kids almost every day of their lives, um, except if I'm traveling, racing or something. So it's been, um, being an aunt is very fun and I hope to be a mom one day, but right now I got a couple other, a couple other things to do first. Um, I saw your mom posted something with, about with the grandkids. And she said like the hardest part of being a mom is, and then she's like, dot, dot, dot the children. And I'm thinking, yes, it is. Um, I have four kids too. So it's fun to hear from other people who have experienced growing up with so many siblings. It's like, I mean, the, the more time goes on, the less you see bigger families. And so Mm -hmm. it's just fun to hear from other four kid families. Yeah. And Joe is one of five. So he's from oh, a big wow. family too. So we both have, we both have, uh, you know, super close relationships with our siblings and all of that. So it's a, it's fun. Okay. I'm sorry. Are you okay on time? I promise we'll go to end a podcast yeah. very soon. Okay. Um, I'm just intrigued by the Joe thing. When you said he moved to Crest, Crested Butte, um, his senior year, did his family just move there? And when he was calling you out for quitting in races, were you already dating at that point? So he, um, at the time, Crested Butte had a private ski academy that happened to have a really good running coach named Trent Sanderson. And Joe was starting his junior year and he just was kind of over it. He's, he's from Wisconsin and he just, he was wanting something new in terms of like 
a coach and a team and running and he his dream was to run in college and he just felt like he wasn't making the strides necessary so little self-starter Joe instead of Mm. complaining (laughs) he just researched what he could do and he brought it up to his parents and said can I move to Colorado there's a running there's a boarding school that has a good running coach and they were like I guess so he went to this boarding school um the second half of his junior year and then his mom and little brother who love Colorado, they were able to convince uh, Joe's dad and his sisters, like, we're just, let us just move out to help Joe and be there. So their family like split, um, kind of split time for the, a year for Joe's senior year. Um, and so his mom and brother lived in Crested Butte and we, Joe and I started dating um, spring of senior year, but he was calling me out on my, my BS. <laughs> way way before that um and we were just good friends for a year um and then we started dating and both went to University of Colorado um but yeah he I kind of I liked him and respected him and admired him so much um prior to us dating and uh so his opinion mattered a lot to mm-hmm. me even though you know we were just friends at the time I love that story. That is so, that's so cool that he just went and did it. And then that his family split up because I feel like so many people live their life with like, this is what you do. We're, we're already here. Like, but why not? And they just did it. That's so cool. And then, and then Joe emailed coach Wetmore five or six times probably before he ever got a response saying like, I want to come run for you. I want to come run for you. And he was getting recruited to other schools, but, um, you know, he didn't just sit back and say, I'm going to wait for the letters to roll in for mm-hmm. recruiting. I'm going to like go out and talk to the people I want to talk to. So he's kind of always been, um, he's always been that way. And it's, it's rubbed off on me and is, I think makes he and I a good team and makes our, the team we've grown have that same kind of mindset. And it's, uh, yeah, it's probably his, you know, greatest strength as a coach and as a husband. Okay. Last question about that. Do you think in those moments, like those high school moments, did he have any idea that like, I'm going to end up coaching her someday, like winning Olympic medals and things like that? (laughs) No, no. no. But I, I did say to him before we ever, before, when we were friends, I wrote on a little post-it note and said, I love my future hubby, Joe boss and put it in his (sighs) wallet. So we like, I knew he was special to me and we never, we hadn't even dated yet, but he he was special to me. Um, but I don't think he ever thought he'd coach me after when, when he became my coach, he was currently at the time working as a tax accountant. Mm. So he, uh, very different than coaching, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, I, I don't think either of us saw this happening, but it's worked out. Uh, It's too good. Your story's too good with him. I love it. Okay. (laughs) Let's do end a podcast. Uh, what is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Hmm. Professionally race a 5k break nine minutes in the steeple. Um, win Olympic gold. Uh, personally, I want to be a mom one day. What is an accomplishment you're most proud of? It's a real, it's a, it's mm, Olympic bronze and world championship gold are like my two favorite kids. I can't pick between them, but those are my two really, um, big, big, most proud, special accomplishments in my life. I love it. 
Uh, who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? And what would you have? What drink would you choose? Mm, um, I always love having a glass of wine with Kara Goucher. Mm. She is a, a good friend and it's always fun to catch up with. Um, mm, or a Marg with Joe. Just going on a date with him, have a margarita. I love that. That is that is my favorite thing to do. Margarita's out with my husband as well. Um, oh, a glass of wine with Kara Goucher also sounds lovely. <laughs> What's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, right now I'm reading uh, a book about Winston Churchill. Um, oh, my gosh. I'm blanking on the book I'm reading right now. Um, one of my favorite books of all time is Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's a... Uh, really short read but just a book about your mindset and not being a, a baby victim in your own life I'm looking up the Winston Churchill book really, really quick it's it's by Eric Larson um it is called I mean I, I'm in my bedroom I could go find where I put my book but um Winston, I can oh the splendid in the vial oh, vial here splendid in the vial okay reading that right now is it good um, are you like into it I really like history so yeah. I this is about the first, um, the first bit of world war two. Um, and so it's very interesting to me, mm. but it's not necessarily like a, a trashy beach yeah. read type of book, which I love those books. Okay. I, I'm going to sound repetitive to people who listen to consecutive episodes, but have you read Daisy Jones and the six? No, it's so good. I'm like, I, okay. I'm I'll write it down. so sad anytime I have to do anything else because I'm so into it and I just don't want it to end. Um, it's about a band in the sixties and just, I love the way it's written and I just, like, all right, I wrote it down. Yes. Oh I want to be like, I want to listen to their music even though they're not a real band. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so, so good. Um, okay. The last question we have is what is your one message to send to the world? Hmm. I love uh, this one poem from Michelle Silverstein with the line that says, anything can happen, child, anything can be. And I just think that's what I would tell people. Anything can happen. Just go make it happen. And um, like, relax. Don't be so stressed and upset and freak out about every little thing that happens. It's, life has lots of highs and lows and anything can happen. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. That sounds very true to how it sounds like you and Joe live your lives. I think we try. We're happy and we work hard for what we want and uh, surround ourselves with really good people. So those are the secrets to our life. And, it's you know, it works for us and we're happy like that. Uh, I love it. Emma, this was really fun. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for the chat. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thank you, Emma, for coming on the show. Super fun to chat with you. You all can find Emma on Instagram. She is Emma Coburn over there. You can find me on Instagram. I am lindsayhines626. Make sure you check out our wonderful sponsors of this episode, Prevenex.com. Grab yourself some of the Neurofy Plus, the Joint Health Plus. They have so many amazing products over there. Use the code another at checkout for 15% off your order. We also have a great deal with Lily Trotters, my favorite compression socks. 
lilycharters.com. Use that code another for 25% off. And if you are looking for a commitment, check out the grit challenge. 30 days of commitment to movement. Get your miles in. Go to believeintherun.com slash grit and use the code Lindsay5 for $5 off your registration. All right, everybody. That was fun. I love putting out Tuesday episodes. I hope I can continue to do them. We have a great coaching series coming up as well that I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm so thankful for all of you for being here. I appreciate you so very much. If you are loving this show, please consider leaving us a rating and review. Subscribe to the show. Those are some of the best ways new listeners can find us. Subscribing is a big deal on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you particularly enjoyed this episode or any episode you listen to, please consider taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media. Um, That is a huge way to support the podcast. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great rest of your Tuesday and we'll see you Friday.